Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Amen. Well, friends, I have a word in my soul for you this morning. Really excited about what God is going to speak to you. If you want to follow along in the digital sermon card, of course, that's available for you at Version or the QR code that you'll see behind me. <clears throat> We're beginning a series this morning called Best Year Yet. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, has this beautiful quote. Can I read it for you? This is what he says. He says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I want to read it again. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Friends, he's basically trying to say what you believe about God shapes everything to do with your life. Think of it like this. Look at the screens. God's being shapes God's doing. God's doing shapes your being. Your being shapes your doing. So all of life starts with the character and the nature of God and everything that God is overflows in how God acts towards humanity. We can particularly think about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Everything God does shapes who we are. It shapes our identity. And I felt a clear direction from the Lord in this series, Best Year Yet, to start this morning with us understanding once again the character and nature of God. Because if we as individuals and if we as a corporate community are going to have our best year yet, we theologically, philosophically, we have to understand our activity comes from our being. Our being comes from God's doing. God's doing comes from God's being. This is how Christianity is set up. This is how the world is set up. Paul would say we are a new creation because of what? what Christ has done. Out of the overflow of our new identity, we act in the world. So watch this. We often ask the question like this, who am I? This is the question we ask. Right now in American culture, we are in a place where we are in an identity crisis. People do not know who they are. That's the key to American life right now. Who am I? What's going on? Where do I come from? There's this beautiful story in the book of Exodus where God encounters Moses in a burning bush. And God says to Moses, I have this mission for you. I want you to go to Pharaoh and liberate my people from Egyptian captivity. And Moses freaks out. And he, the obvious question is the question we ask as a culture. What does he say? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? An identity crisis moment. And notice if you go read the text, God does not answer that question. God does not answer the question, who am I? Because it's fundamentally the wrong question. Life, best year yet, doesn't start with who you are. Doesn't start with who I am. The fundamental question that God wants to ask is a more important question. So he says to Moses, that's a pretty important question, who am I? But I want to defer and answer a more important question, which is about my identity. And this is the moment where in Jewish faith is the most sacred text of the most sacred book 
of the most sacred moment. Because God in that moment reveals His name. And for the Jewish people, they hang on that name. God reveals His name. And in revealing His name, He draws humans into relationship with Himself. So rather than giving Moses a, a bit of a boost up chat, like, oh, you got this, Moses. Oh, let's take it on. He asks, can I actually go to a more important question about my identity, Moses? This is who I am. And when we contemplate who God is, that becomes the beginning of mission. Mission for us can't begin with who we are. Mission for us begins with who He is. So from, watch this, next slide, the overflow of God's identity, He acts towards us. And from the overflow of His activity towards us, our identity is formed. And from the overflow of our identity, we act in the world. In other words, the most important reality is the reality of God, not humans. Who are you? Who are you, God? What you believe about God, A.W. Tozer was spot on, is the most important thing about you. So I've got a question this first Sunday of 2024. What is God like? I'm going to give you four answers to that question today. But before we jump into the four answers, I want to give you point number one to kind of calibrate why this is so important. If you're taking notes, point number one, lovers of God must know what God is actually like. Lovers of God must know what God is actually like. When you study someone, but you're not close to them, you only know about them. But it does not mean you accurately, intimately, or actually know them. Has anyone ever asked you before, hey, do you know so-and-so? And your response is just, well, I don't personally know them, but I, I do knew, know of them and I know about them because I follow them on Instagram. And so I feel like I know them because I've read five posts about them and I know their stories and I've seen their family. And, and, and when you're not close to someone, here's what will happen. You'll create a picture of what you think they're like, but that's not what they're like. And this is what social media does all the time. But it doesn't just happen with social media. It happens with God more than even social media. How do I know? I've been at this a couple of decades. If you don't take the time to pour through his word, there's a Bible study reading plan for you out and available in the next steps or better yet, dwellingplacemovement.org. Look over to the far right, Grow 2024. It's right there waiting on you. If you don't take this year to pour through the scriptures and the Bible and let God say what God is like, if you don't personally take time to pour through the scripture of God's word and looking at God's word and what he tells you he's like, here's what will happen. You will end up painting a picture of him that is not true and you'll call it true because you think that's who he is. But in fact, sometimes it can be the exact opposite of who he really is. If I were to ask you the question this first Sunday of 2024, what is God like? How would you answer it? Let me ask you, would it be scriptural or would it be your opinion? How many of you ever played with Legos when you were younger? Anybody ever play with Legos? Okay. When I was growing up, I played with Legos. If you ever played with Legos, you kind of, you know how you started off. You were young. I was probably four or five the first time I played with Legos. I loved them. But the first package or box of Legos you get is about this big, isn't it? It's got about 20 pieces. But you act like at five years old, you're an amazing builder because you built something out of scraps, right? And uh, it's 20, 20 pieces in the box. But at five years old, you think you're a legacy worldwide quality builder. When I was young and I would play with Legos, I learned that there's a cheat code because inside the box of every Legos, there's an instruction manual with pictures of each piece, right? And how to assemble so that the, the picture becomes like the picture on the outside of the box. But I learned very early on, there's a cheat code. There's a way around the instruction manual. Now, here what, here's what it was. You just open, rather than open the box, look on the front of the box. And because I'm a visual learner, I just look at the picture and then I can put the pieces together, right? 
Well, that works, friends, when you only have 20 pieces. But once you move on to the Star Wars Destroyer that's three and a half feet long with 2,416 pieces, it's impossible to look at the front of the box and put it together. Let me tell you something. This is what concerns me about answering the question, what is God like? Too many of us are getting our answers off of social media. Too many of us are getting our answers off of what somebody said, what the box looks like, off the opinions of others, rather than going through the instruction manual or God's word. So we end up going off of somebody else's painting or somebody else's perspective or perception of who God is. And there's nothing more dangerous than your life and my life in 2024 than to have a wrong picture of who God is. Nothing will destroy your life quicker. Nothing will mess you up quicker. Nothing will mess you up internally, emotionally, spiritually, physically than having a wrong perception of who God is. And it is impossible to build the Christian life when you build with Legos. You know, when you build with Legos, there's an instruction manual. And the first thing you would see in the first page is step one. And it'll have all of the little listed items and how much you should have. Right. But how many of us, when we're building something, we like to bypass the instruction manual altogether? And just be honest, typically what happens when you roll like that? You get to the end of building and you got what? You got pieces left, don't you? And when you got extra pieces left, what we do is if you're like me and you have a hard time admitting fault, in that moment you convince yourself of one of two things. Here's number one. They're just extra pieces. They're just extra pieces. They're not needed. And you look at everybody else, they're just extra pieces. Or you convince yourself that they were unnecessary pieces. That's right, we didn't need them. And yet the playground in your backyard is rocking and making creaking noises. And you've got eight extra bolts left over. It's no big deal. It's no big deal at all. But here's what happens. We try to build important things called like Christ following life all the time by bypassing God's instruction manual. Listen, God's word is God's instruction manual for the life of following Jesus. What is step one when you play with Legos? The first page. What is step one of building the life of a Christ follower? Look no further than the first four words of your Bible. That's my message today. In the beginning, God. You want to have your best year yet? In the beginning, God. First Sunday of the new year, in the beginning, God. Not Craig. Not Craig's identity. Not Craig's activity. Not Craig's doing. In the beginning, God. We as lovers of God must know what God is actually like. We must know what He's like. Studying God is the first step in being a follower of Jesus. But as many followers, we want to jump to the good parts like he's not the best part. So what do we do? We want to study the gifts first when step one is not to study the gifts. It's to study the capital G giver of the gifts. Some of us think the best part is power. So we want to study the power of God when step one is not to study the power of God. It's to study the one who has all power. Some of us are so excited. We think step one is worship. Uh Uh-oh, listen to me. Step one is not even worship because if you worship without studying God, you'll worship a God you don't know. Worship's not step one. Studying God is step one. Looking at God, learning of God, seeing God is step one. In the beginning, God. Lovers are learners. God, very early on in my Christian journey, began to tell me this is what he wanted from our relationship. Craig, I want you to devote your entire life to learning about me. And notice he didn't say, Pastor, I want you to to devote your whole life to learning about me. This is not a vocational thing. This is a relational thing. It's not because I'm a pastor that I study him. It's because I'm his son that I study him. I want you to devote your life to studying me, Craig. Don't take their word for it. Take my word for it. We as lovers of God must be learners of God. Now, if you have a Bible, open with me to 1 Chronicles 28. 
I want to give you some context. King David's about to give Solomon, who's his son, the wisest words that I think a father has ever given his kid in Scripture. David is getting at this time, it appears to be the wealthiest man on the planet because David is about to give the single biggest offering in the history of humankind. Present day dollars, David gives a little over $250 trillion to the Lord to build the temple. I didn't say $250 billion. Okay. He's the, he's the richest man to ever live and he's about to give in modern day equivalent $250 trillion to build the temple of the Lord. So he's the wealthiest man on the planet at the time, he could have told his son a lot of last words. You want to be the wealthiest man on the earth? Here's what you do. I thought about it this week. He could have told his son, you want to be the greatest warrior on the earth? Here's what you do. But that's not the words he says. David, King David is the best king Israel's ever had that's not named Jesus. He could have told his son, you want to be the best king that the world's ever had? Do these. You want to be the greatest warrior Israel has ever seen? Do this. But that's not what he does. Well, what words does he speak? Well, I want to show you this, but remember the backdrop. This is his dying words to his son. Verse 9, you ready? David says, Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. No wiser words have ever been given from father to son. Learn to know the God of your ancestors. This is a tradition thing. Learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately, he says, and worship and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. Out of all the things David could have said to Solomon, who goes on to become the wisest man who ever lived, these are the words he leaves with his son. David is saying, if you want, listen to me, to be like me, this is the key to being me. You've got to learn to love the God of your ancestors not intellectually, but intimately. And that's good for those of us who think that the learners of God can only be the smart ones. He says to get to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Well, Craig, the only ones who know, can, who know God are the ones who are theologians. Well, listen, the word theology means study of God. And I just told you what I believe God says as a learner. A learner or a studier is a lover of God. So if you love God, you are automatically qualified to be a learner about God. I don't care what you got on the SAT. I don't care what you got on the ACT. I want to tell you my personal pursuit. When I get to heaven, I want to be the nerdiest one in God's presence. I want to be the one he looks at and says, you would not stop ferociously learning about me and asking about me and studying me and contemplating me and thinking about me and talking about me. You are obsessed with me. That's what I want to be. That's my personal ambition. I want to know God for who God is. You are always listening for my word. You're always listening for me to mumble to you. I want to show you a part of myself that I've never shown you before. Lovers are learners. Point number two. What is God like? First of four answers today, God is transcendent. God is transcendent. If you go to 1 Chronicles 28, go to the next chapter to 1 Chronicles 29. David's now giving the single largest offering in the history of humanity. And if you're wondering why he does it, just read it. He tells you exactly why he does it. Part of what he says, would you follow along with me on the screen? He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Meaning the implication is all greatness is yours, Lord. He says, all greatness is yours, all Power is yours. All glory is yours. All victory is yours. All majesty is yours. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. The word transcendent means beyond. Everybody say beyond. 
This is one of the verses in the Old Testament that's tied to the attribute of God's transcendence. He is so big that he is indescribably, indescribably beyond all that is or ever will be. Now, one of the things that Christians will often say from time to time are these words. Well, Pastor Greg, I feel like God is so close to me right now. This is and can be true, but we must keep this statement in proper perspective. When we don't have the proper perspective of God when he feels close, the, the closer or the more we close we think God is, the easier it is to, to believe the lie that he's like us. Now, I want you to show you the juxtaposition of the balance you're supposed to have as a student of God. Notice what Jeremiah 23 and verse 23 says. God says, am I not a God near at hand? And a God really far from you at the same time? Did you see what he said? Am I not Emmanuel, God with you, and yet the God who's transcendent beyond you? God speaking, asking the question. He says, here's how big I am. I'm simultaneously right next to you and so far beyond you that I'm the furthest possible distance away from you and everything in between all at once. Mind blown. This is who God is. Now, for a moment, would you follow with me? I would like to just walk you through the scriptures about who God is. I don't want to talk about us for the next few moments. I'm going to talk about Him. With an open Bible, we realize God is a spirit. You haven't seen God. Nobody's ever seen God. Now, it is true, of course, in the Bible that the Bible speaks about His hands, but that's just a way of getting it over to our poor minds that God is powerful. It's true that the Bible sometimes speaks about his eyes, but that's just a way of getting it over to our poor minds that God actually sees everything. It's true that the Bible speaks about God's mouth, but that's just a way of getting it over to our poor minds that God speaks and he reveals himself. God is a spirit, means he has no body. He can't be weighed, he can't be measured, he can't be touched. He's not even spatial in dimensions. He is a spirit. But God is a personal spirit because he's not a something, he's a someone. That's why God has names. And God's best name, of course, is Jehovah, Yahweh, which is just the English way of writing the name, which he revealed himself to Moses at the bush. I am that I am. That's who God is. God is a someone. That's why several times in the Bible we read that people became his friends and he became their friends. He's a personal God. He connects with people. That's why from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we read that God can be known. This is the great God we find in the scripture. But what is he like in himself? Well, as far as space is concerned, God is everywhere. Jeremiah 23 and 24, do I not feel heaven and earth, says the Lord? God is everywhere. And what that means, of course, is that God is not absent anywhere. And that means that God in all his glory, in all his being, in all his majesty, in all his purity, in all his power, all that God is, is at any place, at any time, and in every place, at every time. As far as space is concerned, he's everywhere. You can't go somewhere where he's not. Now our mortal minds can't take that in. How can it be that the whole of God is here and the whole of God is on Mars? I don't know. How can it be that the whole of God is here and the whole of God is on Pluto? I don't know, but that's what the scripture declares. How can it be that the God in all his fullness is here, yet if we went to the furthest and farthest flung galaxy, the whole of God is there? That complexity baffles us and blows our human mind, but that's what the scripture declares. And all we can do if we will contemplate him this first Sunday of 2024 is to bow down in adoring wonder and worship God. So far as 
as time is concerned, he's eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting, are you, O God? When Abraham prayed to him, or when David prayed to him, or when we prayed to him today, he was exactly the same. He's unchanged. He never changed from last Sunday. He won't change to next Sunday. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no age. He's completely unchanged. He's infinite. There's no sort of limit for God. As far as knowledge is concerned, God knows everything. Our knowledge is very small. If we put together all that the human race knows, it's only a very small part. It's only a part of the whole. God is infinite. When we come into the world, we have very little knowledge. We're babies. We have to learn things one at a time, and then we can forget them just as quickly as we learn them. Let me tell you something this morning. God never learned anything. God never learned one thing, ever. He's never, ever learned. There's nothing that He does not know anywhere. He sees all things as they really are. He sees all things as they really are all the time at all places. As we read in the Scriptures in Psalm 147, His understanding is infinite. And that means, of course, if you're in here today and you're unconverted, it is impossible for you to deceive God. You can deceive your parents, you can deceive the people around you, but God knows everything about you. He knows every detail of your life, every circumstance of your birth. He knows it all. He does, as far as His power is concerned, whatever He chooses. Psalm 115 in verse 3 says He does whatever He pleases. The book of Daniel, He does according to His will in the armies of heaven and among the habitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? We read in the book of Ephesians, he works all things after together, the Bible says, after the counsel of his own will. Listen, the very movement of an insect on your front porch today, the very blowing of the wind that hit your wind chime last night, and listen to me, even what wicked men do, every detail brings to pass exactly what God planned without him being evil in any way. He doesn't direct it or predestine every activity, but He uses every activity because nothing's outside of His foreknowledge. What is this God like? What is this everlasting God? What sort of God who is a spirit? What is He like? God is holy. The Bible tells us He's holy. We read that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Right now, we're here, but in God's presence there are these wonderful creatures who have never sinned and yet there's something so unique and different about God which is so splendid that there are creatures who've never sinned but they can't even look on God. He's so holy. The word holy means to be cut off. Barith or be cut off. God is cut off from all His creatures. He's completely different. He's separate from His creatures because He's entirely pure. Yet we as humans can't really understand what that means. We just have to accept that Scripture says, as the psalmist said, and as Moses said, that He's glorious in His holiness. God is righteous. Friends, isn't that a wonderful truth? Can you imagine what it would be like if I had to stand up here today and say that the God who exists from eternity to eternity, who's in all places at all times, knows all things and can do whatever pleases Him? Wouldn't it be a terrible message this first Sunday of 2024 if I had to tell you that that God is wicked or that God is power hungry or that God is tyrannical? But thank God I don't have to tell you that this morning. He's holy. Everything about Him is pure and right, which is the next word. He's righteous. We read in Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all His ways. Have you noticed I ain't talking about you and I ain't talking about me? And the more I talk about Him and you contemplate Him, your doing's going to change. Your being's going to change. Your activity's going to change. Your mindset's going to change. He's holy. He's righteous in all he does. He can't do anything wrong. He can't think a wrong thought. He can't speak a wrong word. He can't do a wrong act. Every, everything, absolutely everything God does is right. When I read the Bible, I, I breathe a great sigh of relief because wouldn't it be a terrible thing if this great, infinite, infinite, eternal God did even one thing wrong? 
But that's a fear I never have to nurse. He's righteous in all his ways. He can never be blamed for anything. He's loving. Everybody seems to know that. The Bible says that God is love. But it doesn't say, by the way, that love is God. Don't say that. That's, 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 the, that's the perversion of our culture. Don't know God, you don't know what love is. If you don't know God, you can't really know love for your spouse. If you don't know God, you can't really love the people around you. God is love. We read in Exodus, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. He's slow to anger. We read in Micah and Joel uh, that God of his great kindness shows himself. God is love. Why do so many people stay away from him? If God is good and the Lord is good to all, isn't that marvelous? Thou art good, David said, and you do us good, he said in the Psalms. Now, ordinary men and women that live in your neighborhood, they consider God to be their enemy. They would have rather get out of their life. Yet, let me tell you something, God doesn't strike them down. Their, their, their lungs still beat. Their lungs still breathe this morning. Their hearts are beating in their homes this morning. Their minds still think. He gives them rain and sunshine, and they've never given one thought to Him. He gives them fruitful seasons to enjoy, and sometimes even gladness of heart in their families. He sends into the world laughter. He sends into the world kids. He sends into the world joy, and He's actively good to them. The harvest still ripens for them. They still get a paycheck. The bread is still made. Food is still on their dinner table. But let me tell you something, the greatest proof of God's goodness is that he loves to forgive his enemies. And he does so when they come asking for mercy. God does. God shows mercy. God shows grace to those who call out to him. This is our God. The Bible says, you, O God, or are, are, you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abounding in mercy to all those who call upon you. The last word in that particular verse is wise. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, said Daniel, for wisdom and might are his. Y'all, look at the intricacy of creation, the fine balance. Think about the tiniest creature, the smallest molecule. Think about the atom itself, DNA. We think about the glucose strands. It's all the handiwork of God. How wise do you have to be to create it? And the very ex existence of knowledge, the very fact that there is such thing as understanding is God's invention. Then we think of how he planned a way to save rebels and sinners and ungrateful, spiteful people. And he did it through the blood of a cross. We admire the wisdom of God. And we say with the Apostle Paul, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who first gave to God and it should not be given again to him. For to whom all things be, be glory forever and ever. He's incomprehensible. You and I, as we read the Bible, what the Bible says is clear enough. I can tell you and you can find out for yourself what the Bible says. But listen to me, questions which begin with what we can answer. Like, what is God like? What sort of God is he? What is he in himself? Those sort of questions we can answer because God has given the answers. But listen to me, questions that begin with how. None of us can answer. How is it that God can be in all places at all times in the wholeness of his being? We can't answer that. How is it that God can know all things as they really are at all times without learning them? We can't answer that. How is it that God can be just and loved and righteous and good? How, how, how is it that can be, he can be three and yet one? We can't answer any of those questions because we're just ordinary creatures. Our minds are limited. Our minds before Christ are even darkened. There's no beginning question with how that we can answer because we're not God. So all we can do is bow a knee before God, acknowledge the mystery of God, admit that he is God. And we are his creatures. You know how many galaxies scientists say now based on our newest technology with telescopes exist? They used to say with the best technology, 150 billion galaxies. I was impressed with that. But now the number's over 2 trillion. 
And the Bible says, if you hear for Christmas, that God measures the galaxies with two fingers. The next time somebody in this church emails me and says, my problems are huge, I'm going to send you a picture of me going like this. He measures galaxies with two fingers. Because the God of the universe goes on record and says, here's how big and beyond I am. I'm the one who measures over two trillion galaxies with two fingers. Y'all, I'm so tired of us in the American church talking like the enemy is the big one. The reason he tries to scare you is because he's so deathly afraid of the one who stands next to you who's measuring two trillion galaxies with his two fingers. Listen to us this this Sunday. Some of us have got this thought that the enemy is the, the one who's so big that we hope to beat him. No, friends, our God is so big, his enemy knows he has no chance of beating him. What is God like? He's transcendent. He's beyond anything that ever will be. The transcendence of God keeps us from bringing God down to our level. And God is romantic because what do you do when you can't really fully reach or comprehend? What do you do when something far from you is outside your reach? If you want it bad enough, you reach for it. And I believe God is saying, I don't want you to ever feel so close to me that you stop reaching for me. Stop drawing close to me. Here's the second thing God is. Point number three, God is transcendent, but God is also imminent. Imminent is the word near. He's not just everywhere. He's everywhere you are. Isaiah 7 and 10 speaks about one of the names to be given to Jesus. It says, the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. It means God with us. He's not just the God who is everywhere. He's the God who's with me. Too many people who don't know Jesus think that Jesus came to punish us when in fact he was given the name that meant the God who came to be with us, not the God who came to spank us. And listen to me, as if God needed to prove just how near he wanted to be to us, after Jesus, he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. You want to talk about nearness? Now, some of us today might be in a difficult situation. You might feel like you're in a bit of trouble today. One of the things I've learned about God's enemy in times of trouble is he likes to try to convince us that God is nowhere near to us. But if you are here today, I can share you one verse this morning. It's so powerful. If you feel like you're in a fight and you're up under it and you're all by yourself, let me read to you Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Leave it up there for a moment. Why is God a very present help in trouble? The answer is simple. He loves you too much to leave you when you encounter trouble. He's right there with you in the midst of the trouble. You don't need to pick up the bat phone and hope God answers. He's already there because he never left you. In Psalm 46 verse 1, I believe God is saying, Craig, why don't you take my nearness out for a spin? One of my favorite, favorite reasons for being near to you, Craig, is when you feel like you're in trouble, I'm always a present and I'm always accounted for. I am with you no matter what you're going through. Two more points. Isn't that the fastest point I ever preached in the history of preaching? God is imminent. Look at the next one. God is incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. What do you mean? Psalm 145. I could read you a lot of verses, but look at verse 3. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. Incomprehensibility means impossible to completely comprehend. The incomprehensibility of God does not mean we cannot know God. It means we cannot know God exhaustively. I'd like to give you a statement. You'll see it on the next slide. A God small enough to be fully understood is not big enough to be worshipped. Can He be comprehended? Yes. Can He be exhaustively comprehended? No. 
That's why Jesus said in John 17, what is eternal life? To know God. You're going to spend all eternity learning about God and never exhaust His knowledge. He's incomprehensible. Think about why this is so amazing. Think about how it would change your relationship with God if you were able to completely comprehend everything God did. Have any of you ever seen a Hallmark movie before? Hallmark movies are the most predictable things on planet Earth. They just came out with a new study. When I was growing up, one of my teachers used to say, two things are certain in life, death and taxes. I add one, Hallmark movies. I've learned there's four scenarios in a Hallmark movie. A small town, a big city, a farm, or a vineyard. Nothing on planet Earth happens outside of a small city, big city, a farm, or a vineyard. Okay? There is no such thing as human life outside those four contexts. Okay? That's all that happens in a Hallmark movie. Now, here's what's amazing. My wife loves to watch these movies, and she loves when I watch these movies with her. We don't watch these. She, watches, she used to watch them quite often. I think just last year, babe, I'm super proud of you. But if I watch these movies, I turn my brain off when I watch these movies. And the reason I can turn my brain off, because I know it's going to end. And it used to bother me in the beginning of our relationship, right? When we watch these movies, I'm like, I already know how it ends. Why would I watch this? Well, I just want to watch it. It's just mindless is what she would tell me. But here I am watching it shut with, my, with my brain shut off. Why? Because I know how it ends. If God could be completely comprehended, that's exactly what you would do with him. You'd shut your brain off. Exactly what you'd do. I've exhausted him. I know him too well. I've put my hands on him. I already know how this conversation ends, God, because I know everything there is to be known about you. But yet, let me tell you how romantic this is. I'll say it like this. God loves you so much, and he loves you so much that when you seek after him to learn more about him, he's incomprehensible. And here's how I think God would say it. One of my favorite things to say to you are these words. God would say to you this day, I want to tell you something about me I've never told you before. And I love it so much that it's literally impossible for me to run out of new things to tell you about me. Oh, there's so much incredible stuff to know about God that we will spend eternity learning new things about Him and never run out of new things to learn. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, God, my thoughts are not like your thoughts or my ways like your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, Craig, I'm not like you. You're limited, I'm not. But I'm extending an eternal invitation to study me. I'll give you all of me that you want. What? You mean you're giving me a blank check? To learn about you? Craig, yeah, you're my son. Why wouldn't I? And that leads me to the fifth and final point. Yes, God is incomprehensible, but fourth and finally, God is knowable. So we have established that we cannot know God exhaustively, so we might say, well, why even try? I'll give you one great reason why. You should try no matter who you are, how good you are, how bad you think you are. Why? Because God wants to be known by you. He wants to spend eternity being studied by you. Can someone in the room please help me understand why you have such a low view of you when the God of the universe right now might be sitting on the throne talking out loud to heaven saying, oh, I've been waiting for this first Sunday of 24 since the beginning of time because she's going to learn something about me she's never known before. How do you have such a low view of yourself? When God has made you intricately and longs for nothing more than for you to learn about Him. Yeah, He's incomprehensible, but boy, that does not mean He's not knowable. And I want to show you what Scripture says is one of the best ways to know God. 
by watching Jesus. Watching Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the image, visible image of the invisible God. You know what that means? It means that God didn't just send Jesus to save you. It means that the Father sent the Son to show you what the Father's like. He wants to be so badly known by you that he, and he's not the author of confusion. He doesn't desire for you to be confused about what he's actually like. And so one of the reasons he sent his son was that you would know exactly what he's like. Craig, I want you to know what I'm like. Okay, how do I do that? Watch the sun. Follow the sun around. Listen to the sun's voice. You'll understand the father better. Do you hear the Lord saying to you today, oh, son, a daughter, I don't want you to be confused about what I'm like. I don't want you to go on hearsay. One of the biggest reasons I sent my son was to give you a visible image of what I'm like that you cannot yet see with your physical eyes. If you want to know what God is like, watch Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, but what about those who refuse to look at Jesus? Those whose hearts are hardened won't have anything to do with Jesus at my workplace. Well, there's another way that anyone, no matter what they believe about Jesus, can see God and know something about God. You know what it's through? Nature. Though someone doesn't know God or refuses to look at Jesus, they still look at nature. Psalm 19, verses 1, 2, and 3 say, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship day after day. They continue to speak forth. They'll make Him known without a sound or a word. Their voice is heard, yet their message has gone throughout the whole earth. Their words to the whole world. Have you ever sat at the edge of the ocean in 2023 listening to the waves roll in beneath the stars? You can't see the 400 billion stars, but God put every single star there because that's where He wanted them. Do you realize the Scripture says that even when your friends who do not yet know God won't listen to you talk about God or the goodness of God, that they themselves still can't get away from God? Someone who does not know God, no matter what they believe about God, they encounter God every time they encounter something the Creator invented. Even though they won't admit it, they encounter God every day because God created it. Sitting on the edge of an ocean, watching the sun rise in the morning, watching the stars fill the sky, listening to a newborn giggle. Every day encountering a small piece of a really big God. And he is so badly wants to be known that he displays his awesomeness to those who cannot even yet hear his voice. And I'm going to tell you, friends, only a God who deeply and badly wants to be known does stuff like that. Come on, Cody. Let me close with this. In the beginning, God. Say it with me. In the beginning, God. Imagine just in a few moments I had everyone stand and I'm about to dismiss you. Just before I dismiss you, the most famous person you can imagine. Imagine them right now. Most famous person that you can imagine walks through those doors right there. And everyone starts looking in that direction. And everyone starts freaking out. This is the most firm, famous person you can imagine. What? Does this church, this person go to dwelling place? I never, I knew I liked this church for a reason. Most famous person you can imagine walks through those doors and you notice them. It's the person you wanted to meet for decades. And you're trying to play it cool. But your heart's racing a little bit and you think this is my chance. I'm going to meet the most famous person I could ever imagine. And just as the reality of that moment is setting in on you, the most famous person you can imagine doesn't just come to another room. They start walking at you. And you thought your heart was racing before. They walk right to you at your seat, standing where you are in this room. And just as the reality, you don't give them a chance to talk. 
You think this is my moment? Can I please take a picture with you for my Instagram page? And the most famous person that you know and can imagine, you hold up your phone, they slap the phone out of your hand, and they say, there's, there's time for that later. I'm here because I wanted to meet you. What? Yeah, I wanted to meet you. I've actually got a couple of hours before I need to head out for a meeting in the West Coast. I want, you want to go down the street and grab some coffee with me at Black Rifle Coffee? What? Yeah, let's go hang out for a couple of hours. And here are the ground rules. You can ask me anything you want about me and I'll give you the answer. I'll hide nothing from you. What do you do? You race down to get coffee. You leave, you're not dismissed, but you're sent. And you, re, you go down to Black Rifle Coffee and six hours go by and you feel like you're in heaven on earth. You got to spend six hours with the most famous person you can imagine. He or she stands up and says, well, we got to wrap up our time. I got to catch a fly. And you blurt out, thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me just spend the last couple hours with you. This is the most amazing day of my life. I I got so many people to tell. I'll never forget this. And the most famous person you can imagine says, well, it doesn't have to end if, if you don't want it to. My plane's actually four minutes from here and it's ready to go. If you'd like to text your family and fly with us. You can go with us. Well, your family's been in the parking lot for six hours, and you call them, and you say, the most famous person I've ever imagined just offered us a chartered flight. We're going to go to a very important meeting on the West Coast. Should we go? And the whole family's like, let's go right now. They meet you right over there at the chartered plane. You walk them up the steps, and it's the biggest chartered plane you've ever seen. In the middle of the plane is the biggest smorgasbord of activity you've ever laid your eyes on, filled with all of your favorite things, and you're feeling like you're a little close to this famous person than the rest of your family. So you just spent the last six hours together. So you say, how did you know this was our favorite things? And the most famous person you ever imagined said, well, I had our team stalk your uh, social media pages and I had them make a list of your favorite foods and items and I've flown all around the world to make sure they're on this table for this flight. Well, everybody sits down. They take a three and a half hour flight to John Wayne International Airport. They're eating their favorite food. Just, just, you know, just eating it one after the other. You land in John Wayne and you blurt out because you think this is the end. Well, I just want to say thank you, most famous person I can ever imagine, for letting me ride on the plane. Thinking that he or she's going to say, oh, just go back home. He or she says to you, oh, it doesn't have to end this way if you don't want it to. What? Yeah, you can come to my meeting with me. I can't sit in that meeting. You told me you're going to the biggest power players in the world. Yeah, you're my plus one. Come with me. So you go and you sit through this really poor meeting, pinching yourself going, I can't believe I'm hearing this conversation and learning the stuff I'm getting to learn. At the end of the meeting, the most famous in person you can imagine comes over to you and you're thinking it's over. So you blurt out, thank you so much for letting me sit in this important meeting. I'll never forget this day. And he says, oh, you don't have, it don't have to be over if you don't want it to be over. What? Well, it's nighttime. What are we going to do? Oh, you can come back to my house and stay. I got a really, really large house. And one of your children blurts out, how large? Famous person says, oh, it's about 260,000 square feet. And I had my team set aside an entire wing for you and your family. Oh, my God. Y'all, I don't care. At all, really, about famous people. Because David got it all. He said, the fame is yours. The most famous person on the earth pales comparison to God, the most famous one, who will always be wherever you go. He chases you. And every day, I can't imagine why somebody would go through 2024 and not get on the plane and listen to his voice and talk to him and sup with him and dine with him and engage him. He's the most famous person anyone has ever dreamed possible. And I think it's about time that you change whatever needs to be changed so that in the morning, tomorrow morning, when the most famous one, whoever will be, starts your day saying, hey, there's a lot of things I could do today, but I've decided the one thing I want to do is I want to spend the day with you.
that 2024 will be a year you get on the plane, enjoy the meal. Answer, ask the questions. Whatever you do, don't say no. He's trying to show you what he's like every time he invites you to spend time with him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, you've been on record and you said, if you look for us whole, look for you, we look for you wholeheartedly. You'll come after us. You'll find us. We'll find you. The cry of my heart as the pastor of this church in this season is that every day of our life, if even just by an inch you draw near to God than the day before, it's when we draw near to him that he shows us more of himself and teaches us more about him. I'm praying this church answers the phone call and doesn't decline the invitation any longer. That you get in the plane, fall asleep in the seat next to him. Right up next to him. Don't decline his invitation. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your help. Would you divinely enable us to be pursuers of God, chasers of the Father's hearts? I don't want to know about him. I want to know what I learn about Him, to draw me near to Him. And God, may we as Your children be known for our obsession for You. You're the God who longs to be known by us. And may we chase You in 2024 like never before. In Jesus' name. God's doing, God's being shapes God's doing. God's doing shapes Your being. Your being shapes You doing. May this be our best year yet. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.